0: What is the nature of the bioregion known as Cascadia? How is this insight expressed by the people who live, work, practice, and play here? Is there a connection between Zen practice broadly construed and the Cascadia bioregion? If so, what is it? Who have been the teachers in the relatively short term that Zen has been known in this bioregion? What role does water play here, more so than in other bioregions, and what implications does that have for the people who live here, and for their practice. It's these questions and other questions brought on by these that we seek to explore in the work Cascadian Zen, which is being edited by Tetsuzen Jason Wirth, myself, and Adelia McWilliam, and is to be published in the fall of 2023 under the imprint of Watershed Press, which is the publishing arm of the Cascadia Poetics Lab. Here to talk about this are the three editors, myself, and Jason Wirth, and Adelia McWilliam, here on beautiful Salt Spring Island. It's a real joy to be here with you today.
1: Oh, yeah. Love being here.
0: Thank you for arranging this opportunity.
2: It's been incredible. Yeah, we've, we've just had a wonderful weekend together in the heart. I believe Salt Spring is one of the special centers of Cascadia in terms of things that are coming together north of the border. And um, so it's very special that we're able to speak about this together here on Salt Spring Island.
0: Which has ancestral um, uh, importance to you and your family, which we just saw this weekend at the exhibit at the Salt Spring Island um, Library.
2: Mm -hmm. Should I speak about that a little bit? Just a tad? Yeah, just Just a a small tad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What happened this weekend was a celebration of uh, my family, who first came onto Salt Spring in 1905, so a compilation of artwork by members of that family and photo- photographs, and the journey of looking into the history of the place, which of course brings us smack up against what went on in the settling, the settlers' history of this coast, and that journey into the land. Um, I think it was a personal journey for me, but I think it's a journey that we're all in the middle of taking in whatever way, or we're learning to situate ourselves in place in a way that we never have before, with that historical awareness that we're bringing and also how we're living in our every day. And I th- and the, the experience for me was that writing, the act of writing, the practice of poetry, the practice of outside, um took me into that journey and that awareness of what the past um, was comprised of, how it has influenced us and the secrets that we thought were were buried there that are now being unearthed. And so that's whole sense of unearthing, which I think relates to what we're seeing in all of the writing in the volume of in the Cascadian Zen volume, is poets, essayists, artists who are responding to the land in unique and and beautiful ways.
0: This book comes out of a panel discussion that happened at the May 2019 Cascadia Poetry Fest, uh, Festival that uh, was moderated by you, Jason. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you can talk about um, that. I mean, it was honoring Sam Hamill, that whole festival, and had a panel about translation and had a panel about Zen. And so the focus... Uh, became Cascadian Zen, Sam, of course, living in the bioregion since the 70s, and himself being a bioregionalist, himself having a poem called Of Cascadia, which ends his uh, collected poems. Um, Tell us about how that panel came together and how the anthology came out of that.
1: Yes, so I think the best way to begin thinking about that, and of course we're speaking together because we'd like to invite whoever's listening uh, to consider reading these two volumes, Uh, maybe there's a third coming, uh, but two so far uh, are on the way. So, the meditation is what do we mean by Cascadian Zen at all? If by Zen we mean this is a book in which everyone editing it, uh, everyone writing in it has a Zen practice, the book is narrow, really in the final analysis, quite unzen and of very limited appeal. Uh, Zen is uh, short for. Uh, Any intentional practice of being here, and an intentional practice of being here comes to the really difficult word, uh, Cascadia. Um, The people who were here quite intentionally before the later colonizers would never have recognized this place as Cascadia, but they were really quite intimate with it, and their voices and their presence is also everywhere in the book, not just in terms of contributors, but also spirit. Uh, Zen is an extremely late transplant here, um, the 1950s and 1960s, and it's still on rocky footing. It hasn't really uh, found its way into being part of the spiritual ecosystem yet, but it is awakening us to the challenges of being in a spiritual ecosystem. How do we speak to it? How do we speak from it? How do we honor what it's been? How do we hear the voices that um, spoke in ways that were systemically not heard for a long time so that we could have only colonial voices. That's all there. So it's a deep book of collecting all the various points of disclosure in which we can awaken to where we are when we are. And so our uh, our deep intention is not only to celebrate this place because there's also some difficult voices that we want you to hear as well uh, but to awaken to what it is to be here And think from here and speak from here in all of its promises and all of its difficult responsibilities and all of its needs for restoration spiritual cultural political economic ecological
0: and so the here being Cascadia being a bioregion and bioregionalism being a way of uh, living that seeks to be completely sustainable seeks to see its boundaries as those created by nature and not necessarily by generals of armies sometimes looking at maps. So in Cascadia, we go from Cape Mendocino, according to David McCloskey, who some people call the father of Cascadia and who's been involved in the bioregional movement since the 70s. He believes that uh, there where the uh, San Andreas Fault goes into the ocean and creates the Cascadia subduction zone, based on the work of Bates McKee, and other geologists from uh, active in the 50s and 60s and 70s, that it goes from Cape Mendocino, Cascadia does, all the way to the Aleutian Trench and basically Yakutat, Alaska, and inland basically to the Continental Divide. There's a huge part of Oregon that he doesn't consider part of Cascadia, that's part of the Great Basin bioregion. But this is the place we're talking about. And the map is available at cascadia-institute.org. And it's an incredibly, um, what's the word, evocative map. You look at this map, and you if you have any sense that there's something lacking in the way that nation states are construed, if you're not a jingoist, you look at this map and think, Mm -hmm. this is really where I live, because it's a place where maybe not totally synonymous with where salmon go, it's a place where uh, much of the flora and fauna is similar. And it certainly has a lot more common with each other than places like akron ohio or toronto or austin texas or what have you so it seems to me that building affinities that way seems like a very natural thing at least it does for me one question um that has been brought up in this cascadia work has been is this another attempt at the united states at colonizing canada and so you get some resistance you're smiling at that one
2: Um. Yeah, that, actually that question hasn't come up for me in, in working on the these volumes, because there's been great attention paid to including people north of the border, and uh, mostly what's come up in terms of the writers is the com- the common concerns, and the actual differences are not so much border as they may be in, in the sources of the work, um, if they're members of minority groups, that particular perspective, certainly the Indigenous voices, which, are, which pay no attention to the border. So, no, I haven't felt that at this point, though that, though there are a few more of you south of the border than there are yeah. up north. Well, <laughs> but I like to well, think the Canadian voices are strong and free.
1: They are strong and free. But i like to say something about map-making yeah. in general. It's very important for our volume. The Cascadian map is a post-colonial map. It is not recolonizing. Canada and the United States are colonial ideas. They are mapped along colonial lines. So if you're saying, is this a colonizing attack for one colony to take over another colony? It's absolutely not. Bioregionally, we do not recognize the U.S.-Canada line because that is a colonial line. And what is a colonial map? We should be very clear about it. It's an inventory of what you own. It's what belongs to you. Who is you? The colonial appropriators. John Locke uh, spoke infamously in one of the founding documents that governs how the colonies operated on both sides of the colonial border. How is it possible to make something your property? How How can you appropriate something without consent, his famous phrase. That is, you improve it with your labor and make it your own. But a post-colonial map is not what belongs to us. It's where we belong. And so it's always been Cascadia in the sense that the inventory is of our sustaining conditions. The mountains, rivers, cultures, languages, climactic forces. These things are things to which we belong. And so it is an absolute... Uh, how shall we say, refusal of the ontology and politics and economics of coloniality.
0: There you have it. Talk to us a little bit about um, this notion of the Zen part, which does not you know, exclude other uh, systems of inner work, other tra- spiritual traditions. Uh, how would you describe that part of the, the title Cascadian Zen?
1: Yeah, like I mentioned before, Zen is just short for any intentional practice. Uh, Zen itself is not an idea, it's not a philosophy, it's not an uh, ideology, it's not a set of belief commitments. It's a practice. It's a practice of doing what? The falling away of your ego. The ego that falls away, of course, cannot be separated from the coloniality of that ego. And it's an awakening to now and here. Now you don't need Zen, the tradition, to do that. Uh, This place has been Zen in many ways long before such a word ever would have been used here. Um, But it's an intentional practice of belonging. And it's easy to say that we belong here. Um, But the book's not about the idea to convince you that we belong here. It's the practice of belonging here, and that is multiple and varied.
0: So when we look at the book, Volume 1, which is coming out in October of 2023, we see that it's divided into three baskets. Basket 1, The Buddha Way. Basket 2, Empty Bowl, which is an homage to Empty Bowl Press. And Basket 3, Original Mind. And I'm going to ask each of you about one contributor in particular, maybe two for you, Adelia, Um, because I, I want to cover... The notion of Zen, as it might be practiced by a contributor in the volume, Wedlady Speck, who comes from a part of the world that you're familiar with, and is an elder who has been at events that you've uh, facilitated. So maybe you can talk uh, as to how he might fit into this broad notion of Zen and his contribution uh, to the uh, to the book, anthology. I
2: have to think about that for just a minute. The I. I've been drawing this comparison recently between what we find among indigenous elders and the wisdom there, and could we use the word Zen to include all indigenous wisdom, right? Because that would be what Wed Liddy exemplifies in his practice. Um, and then And then I would also yeah. ask you
0: about another contributor. this one, Basket One. Um, someone like Daphne Marlett, who is not a Zen practitioner per se, but is a Buddhist. So... Yeah, Vajrayana. Vajrayana Buddhism. Your thoughts about Daphne and her inclusion? In fact, she begins the whole book.
2: Oh, well, Daphne... It's Daphne's exploration of place that's so remarkable, and her sensitivity to the details. And again, historical detail, exploration of the politics within that, and the music of the place. And the asking questions, the probing that she does of of what she's exploring. I mean, it's Daphne who's going to walk down to the fishing docks and speak to the fishermen and laugh about how they speak to her and <laughs> the patriarchy that's in there, but also the relationship with the fish themselves. And then the, the poetry moves on to looking at the, the fish um, returning up the river and this the speaking to... Um, yeah, the speaking to the, perhaps the, their inability to continue to do that as time moves on. So Daphne's sensitivity is, um, across the board, related to her practice, not just her spiritual practice, but her writing practice, which is what takes her in there and changes her, changes her relationship to place, and our beautiful experience of getting to read what that what that is, and it brings it home to us. So we come home to our place through her work, through her practice
0: which also includes um, allusion to the indigenous uh, part of Cascadia, which preceded us here. Mm -hmm. Another person in basket one is someone whom you're very familiar with, Gary Snyder, who you wrote a book about, his uh, Mountains and Rivers Without End, and his uh, uh, use of Dogen as a main source, and also in this context of the ecological crisis we find ourselves in. Snyder is also probably the quintessential... Bioregional poet, he was there at the beginning of the bioregional movement, helped shaped it, and um, this volume wouldn't be complete without his work. So maybe you can speak to the importance of him and how he shows the way, really with a sense of the prophetic. If we look at Turtle Island and some of the things he said in 1974, which have only become more true in all the years since then.
1: I think Gary Snyder exemplifies the set of lines that connect the first three baskets. Boot away empty bowl, original mind. I'll start with one and three. Buddha way and original mind, how are they related? Original mind is the cultivation of what maybe some of our indigenous elders might call indigenous mind. Uh, it's cultivated through rigorous practices and uh, initiation rituals, uh, et etc., et in which you try to awaken a quality of consciousness that allows you to have the heart and wisdom Um, to be responsible for the land, to be responsible for all of its creatures, human and non-human. Original mind also, I think, is the bioregional approximation of what it is to also have a poetic mind. Uh, Projective verse, I think, is also caught up in the kinds of psychic discoveries um, that that resemble or belong to a broad sense of original mind. Uh, ritual mind sometimes called primitive, but primitive in the sense of primal, originary. Uh, in Zen, we say the mind before your parents were born. Who were you before your parents were born? Um, so, basket one is to cultivate this mind with Buddhist practices. So, Gary Snyder, of course, studied in Japan for 10 years. Um, many of the people in the first basket have a Buddhist practice original mind, they may or may not, but it's still somehow caught up um, with this awakening of primal mind. Um, So uh, Snyder, of course, uh, relied both on Rinzai and later Soto, but also a deep love and appreciation for indigenous practices, indigenous writings. So he exemplifies the coming together without conflation of these two deep place aware practices. And sitting in the middle is Empty Bowl. Now, Empty Bowl, what's interesting is that title itself, after the famous press founded in the 1970s, is a Buddhist term. The Empty Bowl is the bowl that you use to go begging. Buddhist begging, of course, is to take you outside of yourself, outside of the perspective in which everything belongs to you and is about you, and you make yourself helplessly attentive before the world. You ask of the world, its graces rather than walk around as the commander saying and this is mine and this is mine. And so Empty Bowl holding the Buddha Way and primal or original mind together became a press that collects a bunch of writers some of whom wrote for uh, Empty Bowl, some of whom didn't, all of who have in common a section of Cascadia in this case the greater Western Washington area Uh, And they straddle in Buddhist ways, indigenous ways, other ways, projective ways, all these ways that we're calling Zen um, and dedicated a publishing project in that direction. Snyder was, that was his work to really hold all these things together, to publish, to help other writers, to encourage us to give the minority report on official consciousness in a time in which official consciousness is a global disordered psychotic consciousness and all of its mappings and so our little Cascadia map with its little baskets that is the minority report but it's interesting because in crazy times it's the earth that's the minority and humans that are the majority and that is uh, the sickness to which uh, we want to provide medicine.
0: Two launches for the book are going to be happening in 2023. One October six, seven, and eight at two venues: the Spring Street Center at Fifteenth and Spring in Seattle, and also the Richard Hugo House. And then a launch in Cumberland, British Columbia. November twenty-fourth, fifth, and sixth of twenty twenty-three. Uh, more information will be forthcoming as soon as these events are a little more organized in the near. Future for Founders Circle members of the Cascadia Poetics Lab, there will be early warning and opportunity to purchase gold passes, all access passes to these events. So, as a last thought, um, what do you hope the book will do in the world? Well, if it were, if you could wave your wand and it's magically successful, what effect does it have on the bioregion, on the continent, on the planet?
2: I think it's encouraging people to be more thoughtful about their relationship to the earth at this time and the whatever practice they're doing that's going to bring them closer, um, to walk softly, to to walk closer to the ways of the ancestors, to be careful of our culture, um, to be aware. So by by reading, by responding, perhaps engaging in our own practices, there is a, a subtle change that is going to take place through just being with the book, spending time with it?
1: If I had a magic wand, I would declare that what the book wants to be, good medicine, is what the book is, good medicine. Mm -hmm. And what makes good medicine good is that it heals. One bioregion for all. And part of our practice for doing this is the three of us working together, putting down our egos, um, whether they be individual or political, Um, even the subtle ego of this insane magical line that draws a totally arbitrary and brutal uh, wound into the middle of Cascadia. Um, But I hope that the good medicine that helped us sustain this work is the good medicine that is received by its readers. That's what my magic wand wants.
0: Do you think it's because of the content of this book that it was so harmonious to create it so far? And with the brilliant design work of Teresa Whitehill, which will become badly obvious once people hold the book in their hands, do you think the content has had an effect on us as editors?
1: It's medicine. We, we went to the medicine patch, and we collected medicinal herbs. Yes.
2: Yeah, I would say without a doubt. It's been transformational to be engaged with the work of the poets and the essayists and the artists that are included in this volume, and, in both volumes.
0: And to be their caretakers in presenting yeah. this to the world.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: What a joy it is to work with you both, Tetsu and Jason Wirth and Adelia McWilliam. Thank you for your time and effort and for um, the joyous ride this has been. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you thank you to both of you for the beautiful idea.
0: Cascadian Prophet supporters include Diana Elser, A sponsorship dedicated to her parents whose practicality, humor, and love of family life reflected their experience in and love for the Eastern Missouri Breaks and Western Ruby Valley, Montana landscapes that define their childhoods. And Steinbrook Native Gallery, located near Pike Place Market in downtown Seattle, featuring fine art of the Northwest Coast from emerging and established artists. A link to their site at cascadianprophets.org